Hello, hello, and welcome to Relationship Panel Questions and Answers. A friend of mine once says that relationships are not like money, they're like candles. When you light another, you don't lose the magnitude of the other one. So tonight is going to be a much fun. We have a full panel. Panel, please walk up, take up your seats. We're going to be dealing with, I want to call them hot questions, that you guys turned in. And I'm glad I'm not on the answer side of the questions. I'm on the question side of the questions. So we have Pastor Al and Agnes. Yeah. You've been to hostels. This is good. And then we have Pastor Daniel and Amanda. And then we have... I was going to start with you. Just flip it, because that's how you guys are seated. I was going to start with Mari and Jesse Cabrera. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to... I'll borrow your iPad, and we can carry on with the questions here. Whoa. That wasn't a part of the show. But if you're watching us online, that gave you time to kick in. So, without wasting any more time... Let's dive in. Are you guys ready? These are some of your questions, and man, I'm really grateful I'm not on the answer side. Um, here's the first one. Here we go. How do we know if our expectations are beyond reason and not a true need in marriage? Hmm. Everyone's jumping all at the same time for the microphone. Um, expectations and needs are different. Um, you can have expectations around your needs, but we all have expectations. It's the way we expect things to go. You are different than the person that you married. This is a good thing. Um, therefore, you're going to have differences in expectations, and you need to communicate through. If you do not communicate, you will just have frustration. Um, we talked a bit about this last week. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Oh, did I steal your verse? <laughs> That's all right. It's a good verse. You can use it too. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look to the, um, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If they have different expectations and desires, you want to fulfill your spouse's desires as much as possible. A happy marriage is when we try to fulfill each other's needs, not when I try to see what the minimum requirement is to barely get by. And so when we can go through and go, hey, well, what are your expectations? And there's conversations, and sometimes we're going to have to come together. If she expects me to take out the trash and I expect her to take out the trash, uh, something is not going to happen. And so there's going to be a communication and going to go, oh, hey, we're going to do this together, or hey, you know what? This makes you feel loved that I take out the trash. I think that's weird, but I'll take out the trash and you can feel loved. Like there's just, um, but it's a matter of communicating and placing value on your spouse. That's, that's very good. He stole that from me. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Um, I was telling Jesse, uh, talking about this very same question, and I was like, you know what? I know what the difference between you and expectation is. See, I need sushi, yep. right? I need tacos, and I expect you to get that <laughs> in 30 minutes or less. 
D does anybody agree with that? Right? Yeah. Jesse does. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so that's my take on that. No, this is a, this is a great question, and um, I really want to encourage everybody. Uh, you know, you can find because I think to certain degrees we all have all have different expectations or needs. Um, however that looks, and Daniel nailed it when he had talked about communication. Um, and I also want to say that you can even locate that expectation, really a sound biblical way, by looking at the reflection of what God expects from us. You know, it's just loving him back. You know, you see, the, you see this uh, mirror image that I can really reflect towards my marriage, but it starts with my relationship with the Lord. You know, God doesn't put this high expectation on me and says, you got to do this. He just wants me to be vulnerable and genuine and be honest every step of the way. And I think if we can get to that position and really use that as a measuring tool for us in our marriage, things will go, or any relationship actually, things will go really well for you. Okay, I'm not going to use that verse because it's already been used. I'm just going to get practical. Unmet expectations is the breeding ground for frustration. If you want to be frustrated, have an expectation that is not met. If Agnes decided that we, she was going to have a microphone and I have it, that could frustrate her. So the key is, as Daniel has said, communication. But what communication? It's really, really easy. It's kind of like, in our marriage, can I expect this? Will you go get the sushi? If the answer is, no, I don't think so, there's a conversation. But that is not how we live. We sit in a different room saying, I can't believe that he didn't go get the sushi. When the reality is, he has no clue. So it is about communication. A need, you said it very well. Sometimes we have needs. But even a need can turn into an expectation. And then when we don't communicate it, the other person has no chance. So the key here is communicating early. Key number two, this is the best time not to communicate when you're already frustrated by an unmet expectation. You know what, I've been holding this back, I've been waiting forever, I can't believe that we are not having sushi. What is the matter with you? I am so fired up right now. It's really easy for the other person to go, I hear you telling me that you would like something different for supper. That's not how it works. Communicate ahead of time. This is what my expectation is. Is that something I can expect from you? This is good. If you're not married out there, this is for you too. If you have some close friends and you're like, man, how do I know what's going on? Just clear the air. When we go out, I don't like going to eat Italian food. So let's not go to Italian food restaurants. Why do you always take me to Italian? Oh, we'll visit that. Now, just to, make a little, just to make things a little spicy here, like I said, I'm not on the answer side. Is there sexual sin in marriage? He skipped mm, ahead a few It's going to be burning. Is there sexual I'll, sin? I'll repeat it. I'll emphasize. Is there sexual sin in marriage? I'm looking down this way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I figured this was going to come to me. 
I'm responsible for this service. I figured if there was a question that nobody wanted to answer, everyone would just look towards the middle. Um, so um, in short, yes. There, there is. Um, we did say it was a relationship series. If you brought your little ones, sorry. Um, this is the time when you may want to plug their ears. All right, so yes, in, in short, the Bible does give some parameters for sex inside of marriage. Those parameters look like between a husband and his wife and no other. Um, and so um, the Bible forbids adultery, fornication, um, lust, fantasy, bisexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, bestiality, and sodomy. Um, and if you don't know what sodomy is, that means that your bum should be a one-way thing. Um, and... Uh, Um, but th- this, is, this is what it, it prohibits, and then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that you shouldn't abstain except perhaps for prayer and fasting by mutual agreement. That it should be something that happens frequently between a husband and their wife, and it should be something that draws them together and something that, where they honor each other, not something where someone degrades or takes advantage of another. There, I did the fun part. Anyone else want to say anything now? Good word. Yeah, the, um, when I saw that question, I said, that's, that's really a good one. Um, and the first thing I thought about was the agreement between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And I can say agreement between husband and wife, and then the question could be, well, what are the boundaries then? And I think it's simple. It comes down when you, you and husband and wife have an agreement with God. And when you have that, uh, what's the word? When you're in tune with that, You'll see God's boundaries. You'll see how God blesses in the, within those boundaries. I think that's how you can keep it pure. Yeah, and it comes down to getting to know each other, I think, too. I think it's not just thinking of what is a sin, but what is my spouse comfortable with? Because if they're not comfortable with it and trying to force him to do something, that's not very loving. The Bible says that a man is to lay his life down. That's not laying your life down. A woman is supposed to submit. It's not submitting yourself or loving each other while trying to force someone to do something they're not comfortable with. When you start with thinking about sex in the physical realm, it's real easy to get it wrong. When you think of it the way God designed it to be, it's really more in the emotional, in the connection, than it is in the physical. And when you think of it in that way, this is a spiritual thing that we're doing together that bonds us together. The Bible says we come together as one. So your point about doing only what's comfortable, not forcing something on someone else, but really the point I want to make to you is don't think of it as physical. You've been lied to by culture. And, and you, you know, you started by saying the Bible has some direction for sex in marriage. It has some direction for sex out of marriage, too. You don't do that because you're not one. Because it's not something you're doing emotionally and spiritually outside of marriage. This is good. Go ahead. Go ahead, Angie. You sure? 
Oh, we're, we're not moving on yet. Oh, I'm just saying that's another way to clarify expectations. Uh, let's keep moving. Uh, how do you handle past trauma affecting our marriage, affecting marriage and intimacy? Um, I think this is a continuation. Number five. I think this is loaded. <laughs> uh, one of, I think, the key aspects of that is counseling or getting help that might be needed. There's nothing wrong with finding a Christian counselor, and that's not something that anyone should look down upon or think, oh, I need to be strong enough or spiritual enough to handle trauma on my own. That can go really deep. Like when you say trauma, that could mean a million different things. And finding a professional that, can, that is a Christian and that loves the Lord and can help direct you in the way that the Bible teaches to get help, I think is vital. And I think that's kind of step one. And having that understanding and that patience. Like, so if I were thinking, and I had a couple in front of me who mentioned that one of them had trauma, I would be suggesting personal counseling for each of them separately, as well as couples counseling together, so that there's able to be healing for the one person, the other person can learn how to help them walk out that healing, and then they can come together and walk that out together as well. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more transparent right now, um, but I am the spouse of somebody who has had past trauma, you know, and so uh, walking through that, it's a real deal. It's a real thing, um, and we don't take that lightly. And I was looking at that question, and really it's not how do we handle, but how do we overcome? I think it's huge. We have to remember that. How do we overcome past trauma? You know, and it's... It's not an easy road. As a husband, I had to be patient and understanding and trusting the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? And yes, you know, as much as we do need the, the natural side of things and, and the counseling and all that, I think at the end of the day, true healing does come from the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the power of Jesus' blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it can really sound so... Uh, spiritual, but the reality is that's the only way you can overcome it. We're not trying to handle it. We're overcoming it. You see, because when something's a wound, it bleeds. But when it becomes a scar, you can touch it all day, and you can remember the story. And overcoming says, I've been through it, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Handling it, it's all Jesus. Handling it, handling it is going back to it, but still having that pain. Overcoming it is it's, it's, it's used as a testimony. It's used to relate to people, male or female. And so being on this side as a husband and, and seeing my wife go through some things, and it's a journey that I said, I'm all in. I'm in, and God, how do we partner up to help overcome? And I'm telling you, we're on the other side already. It's possible. doesn't matter what you've gone through. It's possible. And I just want to kind of say that for a long time, that was like a big excuse, right, in my life. Well, this, you know, and I love this message this morning. It really was powerful concerning this very thing about forgiveness. And 
and I w didn't realize I forgave, but I didn't realize I forgave, right? You, you, you think you forgive, well, I forgave them, I forgave them, but really there's a process that you need to go through to have complete healing, complete healing, removing that bitterness and that hurt, whatever it may be, to uproot it and fill that with the Lord. And again, I thought, well, I'll just marry somebody that will fix it, <laughs> right? Right? I'll feel, fix it for me. And then the honeymoon stage is over. And he didn't fix it yet. Um, but it, it was that him being patient with me, you know, because it, do, it did affect our intimacy. It did. It, because it was something that was so, I didn't realize, um, fragile for me. And I didn't realize there was no freedom there for me. And I wanted freedom. And so being patient and inviting the Lord, what, this is a threefold ministry. We have husband, wife, and God. And when we invited God into this and said, hey, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I want to be free. I don't want to have to deal with having to think of this person this way anymore. I want this person to find freedom. And when I said those words, something changed in me because I wanted that person to find freedom as well. And so I had to go through a process of forgiveness. And so whoever this question came from, I just want you to know whether online or here that it is possible to forgive whomever hurt you, whomever took advantage of whatever circumstance, you can find freedom and you can live a very healthy, happy life. Amen. You know, I also want to encourage those that are part of the journey. Maybe you know the person. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's uh, some loved one. Um, and they've invited you to the journey. Take it serious. It's, it's a journey. And it's better when you're walking with people that love you and that are full of God. And so that's just my encouragement for those that are witnessing this journey because I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a powerful thing to see God unfold. And it's at the same time I'm seeing, and I, I remember going through the journey with her, and I saw the breakthroughs. And those breakthroughs became celebration moments, and those celebration moments uh, became testimonies. And, and so, and I was not necessarily on the sideline. I think the battle I face is what do I do? You know, but it's allowing God and saying, hey, use me, God, when you want me to be used. Sometimes I just had to be quiet and just say, I'm there. I'm there. That's it. I didn't have to have an answer. I just remember, I had to remember who the answer was and is. And so for those that are witnessing it, my encouragement to you is continue that journey with them. Make a decision. I'm fully in. I think in not, not giving up, like you said, that being there and praying for them, like I dealt with my trauma before Daniel and I got married, but I very distinctly remember one of my counselors saying, you'll deal with this forever. This will probably be really hard when you get married and you're going to really struggle with X, Y, or Z. And I remember just like on my breath just saying, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Like, I don't, nah, I'm not letting Satan have this. But knowing that the world's way is not God's way that there is true freedom, and we didn't have any of those struggles inside of our marriage that she said I was, she was so sure I would have. Uh, granted, I didn't go to a Holy Spirit-filled counselor either, so she just based her story on what she'd seen in other people's lives that didn't have the freedom of Jesus. Um, but knowing that that freedom is there for both Maddie and I, we've experienced that, and that you can get that freedom. You have to put in the effort to say, God, I'm going to do things your way, like you said. Like you had to make that decision that said, okay, 
God, this is going to be different. And that can make all the difference. And I think I love that you pointed out that you dealt with a lot of it even before you got married. And if you're here and you're single and you've been through stuff, by all means, start now. Um, You can do so much. And even if you go through so many different questions, a lot of times people think, I'm going to wait till I get married to start working on my marriage. Um, That is the wrong time. If you can start right away, start now, you can make marriage, you can make your relationships so much better. Um, And the principles that we'll cover They affect everybody, whether they're married or not. Whether you're dealing with trauma and baggage, yes, it may come up in your intimacy and marriage, but it may affect your relationship with all people. And as we deal with it now, even when we're single, it can make such a difference and set us free so we can walk in all that God has for us. That's good. That's good. Well, Pastor Al is still thinking. You got an idea for this one? See, I know him. Here it comes. This is, I don't need to re-say what they said. This is what I hear the Spirit of God saying. When you experience a trauma, especially one against you physically, that you feel is so egregious and inappropriate, the, the enemy wants to separate you and make you feel alone. He wants you to feel dirty and alone. He wants you to blame yourself somehow for what happened to you. That's a lie. In marriage, you can't do alone. And if you try, it's going to fail. You got two examples right here of people who have experienced trauma and are married with healthy marriages because they didn't try to do it alone. And they got God involved and they weren't ashamed to ask for help. Thinking that you're going to go in the corner and this thing is going to go away, is going to end up poorly. Reaching out to those who love you and say, this happened to me, and expecting them to go, I am so sorry, how can I help, is the beginning of getting help. Sir. Well, along the same lines, this is taking it a little bit further, how do you break out of old habits or routines to make more room for Jesus in your relationship? Me, 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 me. I I have done some teaching on this, and uh, this is so simple, but not easy. Anything you hear today, and you go, wow, that's really good. That is the first step towards changing your behavior and receiving something new. And you are probably about 90% uh, chance that you're actually going to do it. Maybe it's, no, it's a 10% chance. You got a 90% chance you won't do it. Because you've heard something new. You go, ooh, man, what you said, Jesse, that's really good. And then you go on with your life. There is a process, the first process. You hear something that you go, that is better than what I'm doing. That is something I want to adopt into my life. Step number one. Step number two, 
I am going to put that into my life. That is going to be a habit. That's going to be something that becomes part of me. It's making the decision to accept it yourself and do something with it. I heard it. I decided to do something with it. Step number three, get a plan. When am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? What is it going to look like? Whose help do I need? Get a plan. I heard it. I like it. I'm going to do it. I have a plan. Find someone to hold you accountable. The first thing you do is you get a strategy. The second thing you do is you get accountability. You find somebody you trust. We're talking about marriages. Have your spouse say, when are you going to do that? I'm going to do that on Tuesday. Okay, on Tuesday. Set an appointment as one of the last steps. You heard it. You decided to do it. You got a plan. You get an appointment for when they call you and say, have you done it? People naturally want to succeed. And when you know your friend is going to call who you've said you're going to do it, this is how you build integrity with yourself. I'm going to do this. They call. They say, have you done it? And if they haven't, okay, how can I help? And the last step and probably the most important step is you get the Holy Spirit involved. Because we don't change ourselves in any significant way apart from the power of God doing something in our life. In particular, if you're, you're walking away from a bad habit and you're making a new habit, so many times we're running from that thing. The right thing to do is turn your back on it and run to the new thing you're going to put in there and watch that old thing drop off. I have a thing. I have a thing. Ready? Okay. I love going to the scriptures when I had a question. I just, this is my favorite. Okay. So Hebrews 12, 11 just ties so perfectly. Well done. You set it up for me. Appreciate you. Okay. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so that shows me discipline has a big part in what you were saying, how it has to be strategic a lot of times. Um, even in prayer, a lot of times we're just like, thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Anybody else pray like that when they're real hungry? Okay. So, but when we're praying specific prayers, like maybe forgiveness, we, we have to have a plan, you know? We have to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm praying for forgiveness for this person, and I'm going to pray for this person every day for this, you know, however long I need to pray for them. But that, for me, was strategic, and I never did that before. I had to make a plan to set that into motion. Does that make sense? And so when I was ready to put forgiveness into this person, I had to actually write it down. To be strategic because see the enemy has a scheme right and he is pouncing around whom he may devour right he's seeking and so if you don't have a strategic plan he can easily just come and knock some things into your life or some some schemes so like jesse's life he has some things in his life that maybe don't or i don't agree so much with and then it pokes the bear right, of unforgiveness, right, because of my past experience. But, I, but the enemy knows that. He's like, let me have Jesse do this thing that reminds her of her past. And then 
of course, he steps back while we go ahead and get our argument on. And he's like, oh, they'll devour themselves, each other, in that process. But I said, I'm done with that. I'm going to have forgiveness. Here's my scheme. I'm going to pray for 21 days. And let me tell you, if you haven't heard the story, I won't say it right now. I don't got the time. But in the 21st day, that person in the last hour called me with tears and saying they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Come on. But that, ha- that came with strategic prayer. I'm not saying the 21 days of prayer and fasting, like, it, I'm so glad that this person was saved, but what happened in me was far greater. In me, there was a breaking of bitterness and, and guilt and, and, and pain, and all those things happened in me. I'm so thankful that person got saved. I'm so happy. But that happened because I became strategic in my prayer. She forgot to mention she elbowed me late at night to celebrate yeah. that win. That's a huge win. <laughs> I think Al and, and Madi, you guys nailed it perfectly. And I'm like, I'm afraid to even add anything to it because I don't want to mess it up. But I do want to say, Madi said, don't do it. Never mind. No, but I do want to just say something that helped me personally is also um, to break old habits is prioritizing. Very simple. Prioritize. I actually have. Who, who, I mean, I think everyone has a smartphone here. Almost everybody. Um, and they have an app called Notes. And if you will pull my notes out, I have these five priorities that I go through every day. And it starts with my relationship with God all the way down to the ministry that God's given me, you know, and how to steward it well. Uh, and so I think I believe priorities is also a huge key to help you get out of old habits. And let me be really honest with you, an old habit I had was procrastination. Just be honest. You know, and procrastination is not a good thing. We, we find excuses of when we'll get to it, and it just it piles up. It, it's kind of what is the term or phrase, out of sight, out of mind type of mindset. Um, and I knew that that was an old habit that I had before Jesus, B.C., right? And uh, coming into Christ, I had to break that. And so prioritizing my life, my relationships, how I do my day, um, really helped me break an old habit, uh, and, and now, I've, I mean, I look today and I've accomplished so much because of I broke the habit of procrastination. Um, and it's just, it's really humbling yourself, looking at your mountain, not denying it. Look at it. Look at it. And say, in Jesus' name, no. You have that power in Christ. Any old habit, doesn't matter what it is, it's not too big for God. So. A few things practically that I did to help myself as well, because I dealt with a lot of anger, had then forgiveness, all the different things that went through my life, and I was like, okay, I know what the word says. So first I had to fill myself with the word and then recognize the places in my heart and life that weren't lining up with it. And I wrote them on little pieces of paper. This was before I had a computer, so it was a while ago, obviously. (laughs) And just wrote it out by hand, and I just stuck them all over my mirror in my bathroom. And I would read them all the time, and I would stick them in the kitchen by where I'd go to get my foods. And I just put them wherever I was in my bedroom when I still lived at home. And just everywhere. So everywhere I looked, it was there. And I didn't have a smartphone back then. So I set alarms on my... alarm clock next to my bed so that I would set it, I think I had three different alarms so that I wouldn't snooze (laughs) or I wouldn't fall asleep. Because at first I tried to just lay in bed and read my Bible right away. I am not naturally a morning person. I force myself to do that. (laughs) 
It's very hard, but I knew that I wanted God to have the first part of my day because I had been just kind of, you know, when I have time, when I think of it, which honestly life happens so fast and then, oh, I'll try to do it last thing before bed and I would fall asleep. So I was like, okay, I got to, I got to do better. So I'd set an alarm and then I'd set it for another 15 minutes later, just in case I fell asleep. And then I had to start like, okay, that didn't work. How do I make a new plan? Okay, well, I got to actually get up, get out of bed and sit in a semi-hard chair, not too comfy, so I don't fall asleep. So part of it was making these plans and adjusting accordingly, not getting discouraged and saying, well, it didn't work, I just can't do this, but recognizing, okay, well, what little shifts can I make to make it better? Now, what do I, how do I need to sit up? Maybe I need to go into the living room or, well, at that point, I lived at home, so I didn't want to wake up my mom or my sister. <laughs> no, but just finding just those little things, it was, made a huge difference for me. And like everybody said, too, like that accountability, like talking to my mom at that time. Oh, okay, what do we, mom, these are the scriptures that I have. And thankfully, my mom was a Christian, so that made it easier. So we, she helped and made some scriptures herself, probably things she thought I needed to work on. <laughs> Moms are good for that. <laughs> so are our spouses, if we let them and not be crabby about it. <laughs> but finding... <laughs> Finding those things were just a big difference. One of the things I did is I printed off a whole list of scriptures and just like, well, I handwrit it at that time, but I just put it right by the bathroom, like right by the toilet because y'all, we spend a lot of time in there. <laughs> you know, so whatever you, you think of, where are you the most? You know, at that point I wasn't cooking a ton. I was a kid, but I always went to the bathroom and I always stood by the mirror and, you know, all those different things. So finding strategic ways that work for you and knowing that whatever works for you is helpful and that's what matters. Wow, this, this is getting good. Agnes, I'm waiting to hear from you though. So, um, put you under the bus there. Okay. Um, I'm going to be in trouble later, but we'll fix it. Um, I'm going to totally change directions here. And I'm going to ask some of these that I think will be great quick answers. Is it okay to test your spouse? I'm not 100% sure what that means. But I see where the Bible says, don't test the Lord your God. And it just makes me feel like it's not a good idea. So I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like, yeah, tithing, you can test the Lord. It's the one thing. But like Proverbs says, like, don't test the Lord your God and all these other, you know, like it just, yeah, I don't know. All right. It's rapid fire time. It's yeah, six it's, minutes it, left. Don't set your spouse up to fail. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> and if you're setting a trap to see if they pass it, you're kind of setting them up to fail. And you may be planting seeds of the very thing that you're hoping they don't do. And even if they make it through the test, why would you want to plant those seeds in their heart and in their life. Mm. <clears throat> All right. I think it's a bad idea. I, I'm just saying, that's a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Um, another one. Is it biblical to date intentionally? <laughs> date intentionally. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <clears throat> Everyone's diving at it. Um, I think it's, yes. Well, but I guess in, intentionally, what, how are you intentionally dating? Um, if, you, if you are dating intentionally just to get in bed with somebody, then no. If you're dating intentionally because you're looking for someone that you're going to marry and you're intentionally putting in boundaries that you're going to keep so that you can intentionally honor them, then I think that's the way you're supposed to do it. Um, so that, 
yeah, yes, you should do it on purpose. Yes, it shouldn't just be, oh, I just want to take advantage of somebody or have somebody be there for me. But no, I'm looking for a spouse. This is where I'm going. So I'm going to intentionally go in that direction. bullets. Um, let me ask this one. How much is, t- is too much of an edge gap in a dating or marriage relationship? <laughs> you wrote oh. <laughs> I think as long as you're not a minor. <laughs> right? You like that? That's what I'm thinking. I, 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 <laughs> <clears throat> Starters, that's a good, that's a good starting point. Um, that's a hard line. No, but I had uh, a couple who we did a wedding for, and there was a little bit of an age gap. And I just said, does the age gap affect how you view their opinion? If there's enough of a gap that you view someone's opinion as less valid or like you have to parent them, then it's too much of an age gap. If you can respect them and view them on the same level and you're both adults, um, then, then the age stops mattering and how, we, how much that gap can be increases the older that you get. But you want to be able to respect and value each other. Yes, good. More bullets. More bullets. <laughs> what do you do? if a spouse will not consecrate their lives to Christ? They all just wait for me, okay. <laughs> um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul goes through, and this is verses, um, verse 11, or 10 or 11 here, it says, I give this charge, um, uh, verse 12, nope, yeah, there, verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And then he goes on and he says, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And he, and, he, and he spells out, if you're dating, don't date someone who doesn't love Jesus. You are, and he goes through, somebody goes, you're free to marry anyone in the Lord. But if you are married and you give your life to the Lord and your spouse doesn't, he goes, well, then show them Jesus. Don't walk away from them. Show them Jesus. How do you know that they won't see Jesus in you and be drawn to it? And if you're like, well, they're not being drawn to it. Are you living any different? Can they see Jesus in you? Yeah, don't give up. One more. I like this one here. America needs some teaching on first, second, third, fourth, fifth marriages. What does the Bible say about that? They're waiting for question number two. Um, But, uh, no, it's... There's a reason that the first, second, and third, and fourth marriage didn't work. Um, And if you haven't figured it out, 
then the odds of it repeating are high. You need to seek God and go, all right, what's going on? Um, and if God isn't first, things are left to our own and on our own, it's very easy to make a mess of things. Um, and there's more expectations. There's more baggage. And we talked a little bit about trauma and about baggage. That if there's been three or four marriages, even if they were all amazing marriages and they didn't end in divorce, someone's been widowed four times, there's more expectations that need to be communicated, that need to be talked about, walked through, and um, in order to have a good marriage. I think just so, for some encouragement, really, uh, I was telling Marty a second ago, um, I think about the woman at the well, you know, and that issue was not too big for Jesus. And so the encouragement and the hope is, like Pastor Daniel was talking about, um, what's the reason behind it? It's really getting out of the cycle. You know, is there something that God's got to work in our hearts in that process? Um, there's certain degrees. But actually, we know somebody uh, lives in a different state that has been whittled a couple of times already. You know, and it's, it's hard. I know the question rises, what's wrong with me? And Jesus doesn't want that. And so whether it's married once, twice, three times because of divorce or because of death or because of abuse or whatever it is, it's not about what's wrong with me. It's about Jesus saying, hey, let me get with you. Let me meet you where you're at, because when you drink this living water, I can walk this journey with you. There'll be, yeah, there'll be fulfillment. I love how you said that. There'll be fulfillment in that. And really, I want to leave more on a high note and with an encouragement that there's no issue that's too big for God. Yeah. Pastor Daniel asked me to ask this one to close. I think this would be a good one as well. What would be the turning points to get to a fulfilling marriage? How do we accomplish this? Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I was the first thing in my head, and I was like, that's such like a cliche answer, but it's so true. <laughs> it's one of those things, like, how do you get a fulfilling marriage? What would be the turning point? Would be developing a stronger relationship with the Lord and deepening that relationship on both accounts. When you have both people that are part of that relationship that want the Lord and are able to then develop that three-strand cord that Marty talked about earlier, that's where I feel like that strength can come. And how do you accomplish that? It's the same way, like how do you make a friend? You start talking to them. You tell, develop that friendship. The more you spend time together, the more you get to know one another, the more you find out what are they like? What are they like? What is their personality? Who are they? How can I find out more about them? And how can I honor that relationship? You know, I have one of my friends who her love language is gifts. So I know that's one of the ways where I can show her I love her. And when we think about it in terms like that, and I think, okay, how can I develop that relationship with the Lord? Well, spending time with him through prayer, through being at church and surrounding myself with Christians and being able to talk to other people about the word, 
and learn deeper than, you know, sometimes when we read the word, we can just kind of like gloss over <laughs> or we can just read it for the sake of reading it. But diving into commentaries and other things, what do people have to say about this portion of scripture? What does this really mean in the Greek and the Hebrew? And really diving deeper helps us to develop that relationship with him. And that affects everything else. And when we try to focus on what we're supposed to not do, we tend to do it more. But when our focus is more on what should I do and changing our perspective, on things and okay what can I do to develop my relationship with the Lord and put our focus there everything else tends to line up I think part of it too is communicating together as to what does it mean what does it look like to you to have a fulfilling marriage you may have very different expectations as to what that looks like so starting there and coming and agreeing together what you feel that looks like so obviously through that is communication and I don't care if we're talking about spouses family children communication is where it starts and I know we've talked about communication and all the many different ways of communicating and if you are not an effective communicator or you know do not like we had said do not feel bad if you have to go through some counseling Christian counseling is the key I believe you know you you have to go with somebody that is like-minded that will point you to the Bible and not to what this world thinks because the world will say, oh, you can always get another friend. You can always get another spouse. It's too hard. You know what? You are going to grow through it. I know we have had some Christian counseling. We were married for seven years, and um, it became more and more difficult. I had two small little babies, and um, it is worth, it is absolutely worth the work because um, in the end, you know, they will teach you how to communicate, what the questions are to ask, to really get to the bottom of what you may be going through or dealing with. And that will help you your whole life long. I know there may be a little bit of a cost. I'm telling you, the cost is worth it. To be together and to work through things together, it just makes you stronger so that um, the years are just sweeter as God has promised us that they would be. That's awesome. Thank you, my son-in-law. <laughs> I think one, one point, one turning point for me personally um, is, is just overcoming selfishness and becoming selfless in my marriage. Apparently, Mighty shared a story about you about flipping her tortilla one time, and it was hilarious, and it's funny, but really, it was a selfish mindset. And so a turning point, the question was, what are some turning points? I think the one I can think about, the moment I, I learned how to do this to my heart, even if I thought I was right, maybe I was right, but the, at the end of the day, what was, how, was I, how was I responding? Was I responding selfishly? or selflessly and so one of my ways I did that was just constantly taking the, this finger right here and saying okay how do I respond or how do I how would Jesus want me to do this right now I just I got that because I look at Adam when when the fall happened and it was just a simple blame it started with the blame game and I, and I, I really believe if, if this would have happened there would have been uh, probably a better turnout <laughs> period uh, husbands be honest if we would do this more it'd be better 
turnouts. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I want to say this real quick, okay? Real quick, real quick. Okay, so Philippians 2, the scripture you stole, remember? So, make my joy, this isn't amplified. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in spirit, intent on one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel, the good news regarding salvation through faith in Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And I think about that, how being of the same mind, being of the same love, that doesn't mean always agreeing about the same thing, but saying, hey, it's okay that we agree to disagree, but let's continue to honor one another, okay? Let's continue to say, hey, that was a turning point for me and you. I see that you believe strongly about this in this way, and I believe strongly about this in this way. And I think it's okay that we continue to respect and honor one another. And that was a huge turning point in our life. That became selfless instead of selfish and like, I'm right. Which usually the female tends to be. <laughs> Just saying. But knit. <laughs> yes, baby. Yes. <laughs> be knit together in spirit. Remember that the purpose is we're honoring God because if we're fighting and we get to a point where Jesse's like, yes, you're right, you're right. Do I really win, you know? No, no one wins when we're trying to outfight each other. But instead, like, it's more like outlove each other. That's what I've learned. I'm gonna outlove you and I understand that maybe we're not seeing it the same way. And a lot of times we find counsel. I'm like, I believe this and he believes this. And what do you think? And it's really great to find wise counsel when that happens. But truly, we found that it's okay that we don't agree right now, but I'm going to honor you. I'm going to respect you. And it's okay. And I think that's a good way to have a fulfilled marriage and honoring one another that way. Yeah, I think... If you want to have a great marriage, it has to be built on the rock. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells the story about a life that hears his word and puts it into practice and a life that doesn't. And he says the one who puts it into practice is like someone who builds his house on a rock. Storms will come, but the house will stand. And those that don't are like those who build their life on the sand. He said storms will come and their house will go flat. Storms come to everybody. And in our marriage, if, in our relationships, if we want them to last, we need to go, you know what? More than doing it my way or your way, we're going to do it God's way. And if we put that as the foundation, then we can navigate through anything else. Then when we want to have a good marriage, we can communicate. And then Philippians 2, the verse we've been sharing, um, we can love and value each other. And when we'll communicate and value each other, we can make it through so much. But as we, as we look at this foundation for life, if we want to weather life, I don't know if all of you have already built your life on that foundation. I don't know if you've said, God, I give you all of me, have your way in me, because that's where the best life is found. The best life is found doing life his way, receiving all that he has for you. And if you've not made Jesus your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity this evening before we close to make Jesus your Lord. Can everyone bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here or you're watching online or later, you say, you know what, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to build my life on the rock. I want to build my life on him and do life his way to know that I'm forgiven, that I'm right with God and I'm my way to heaven. Then when I say three, 
This is your opportunity to raise your hand and respond. One, two, three. So that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. If you're online, you can just type in, that's me. Anyone else say that? Say, that's me. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to say a simple prayer. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So go ahead and join me as we say, say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sins. And I believe that your blood washed me clean. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.